Hey guys, how's it going? Is that a trick, yo-yo? Why isn't my yo-yo coming back up? Can you walk the dog? <laughs> the Offset Yo-Yo Podcast. Hey guys, how's it going? So, fifth episode of the Offset Yo-Yo Podcast. I'm your host, Brandon Vu, two-time Australian national yo-yo champion and yo-yoing YouTuber. Okay, so today's guest needs no introduction, but for the five people who don't know who this is, today we are interviewing four-time U.S. national champion, two-time world champion, Gentry Stein. So before I go um, any further with this, I've been sitting on this interview for a while, and this interview was done right at the beginning of 2019, before Gentry's epic kind of comeback. And I think it's interesting to kind of hear this interview now, because definitely his answers were were kind of... Uh, they were said with an undertone of humility and a, an, an undertone of uncertainty. So I think in this interview, Gentry was really calling into question all his preconceived notions of how to practice and, and how competitions should be done. And it generally gives you a very, very candid look um, at his thought process prior to winning Worlds again. But for those of you who are interested in the contents of this interview, we sit down and we talk about whole lot of things. Um, I take this opportunity to ask Gentry all the questions I've always been interested in. We talk about yo-yoing mentors. Um, we talk about his relationship with Augie Fash, um, John Ando, who who have been like pivotal kind of mentors in his yo-yoing career. We talk about his trip to trip to Japan, um, crazy practice hours. We talk about kind of the mental game in yo-yoing and, and getting out of your own head. And I asked Gentry about evals, and his his answer actually was um was a lot different to what I was expecting. So so stay tuned for that, and and much much more. We we touch on some of the icon stuff, but other than that, it's a very very kind of just Gentry's entire yo-yoing journey. So I'm very proud to present. Sit back and enjoy this interview with two-time world champion, Gentry Stein. Hey Gentry, glad to have you on the show. Thanks man, thanks for having me. <laughs> how's, how's everything been? Um, I heard that you went to, to Chico and you're, you're training the, uh, the next gen of uh, Chico yo-yo players. Yeah man, yeah, when I'm, when I'm here at home, I'm still living in Chico in California. So when I'm here, I'm, I'm always at the National Yo-Yo Museum on weekends, uh, teaching people how to yo-yo and yeah. everything. So just just got back from Seattle a couple couple weekends ago, mm. uh, the Pacific Northwest Regional, and yeah, man, just living it up. Yeah, it's awesome, man. Yeah, it's it's like hard to pin down where exactly, um, where in the country or where in the world you'll be because you're just bouncing around all the time. <laughs> Especially because like I'll post photos from like like older photos yeah and some I'll get, I'll get dms of people saying like wait are you like are you in china right now and it's like no that was, that was a while ago i just needed some content for the gram you know uh yeah i can definitely relate to that i'll, I'll post a throwback photo and people will be like oh man listen um we can definitely catch up i'm like i'm sorry that was that was a few years yeah. ago <laughs> or oh, i feel bad when they're like they're like Hey, you're here. Like, can we meet up? And I'm like, Oh, yeah. I'm sorry. I, I was there like six months ago. <laughs> sorry. I would love to next time, but <laughs> yeah. Oh gosh. It's, um, 
Yeah, it's super interesting. The amount of um, traveling that um, you get experienced and exposure to while you're young is crazy. But um, I kind of want to take take a little bit of a step back. So let's um, okay. let's go back in time, shall we? And um, I want I'm interested in. Um, so I know that you started yo-yoing a little bit, then you took a break, then you came back and you kind of came back with, um, a competitive drive. So what prompted that? When, when did you start being like, okay, yo-yoing is cool, but I want to start actively competing. Yeah. So, so, I mean, I first picked up a yo-yo when I was eight and then I did it for a couple of years and learned like you know, up to like spirit bomb and black hops and like the, the more advanced, like beginner, like the classic advanced tricks. Right. Yeah. Um, like as far as like the, the tutorials would kind of go until you <laughs> were these, started with these Andre tutorials. Yeah. 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 Mastermagic.net. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I, I kind of got to that point and then I got, I just like was doing a bunch of other things. I was just like a young kid. I was only mm. 10 years old that point when I kind of stopped and I was involved with sports and all kinds of other stuff. And then, um, as I kept doing other things, one day I just kind of pulled out the yo-yos again and thought this was like in middle school. So I was maybe 12 or Mm. yeah, I took a couple years off. So when I was in middle school, I got the yo-yos back out and then, um, kind of realized that like competing was a possibility. And then I went and competed at the Bay area classic um, like maybe six months to a year after I got back into it and then didn't do too hot there. And then after that, um, practiced super hard. Cause I really decided like, you know what I want to, I'm not okay with like messing up on stage and like not, not doing well here. So then I went and competed at the Pacific Northwest regional in 2010 and that's mm-hmm. when I got second to Jensen. And then that's when like everything kind of took off from there. Mm, mm. that's yeah that's definitely um super interesting um just to kind of dig into that a little deeper i'm not sure if this is um i'm not 100 percent sure about this but i've heard that you were mentored um by augie fash is that yeah yeah it was um yeah so, and he he was a u.s champion in in his own day was he um yeah 2004 yeah. So mm-hmm. what was that dynamic kind of like and how did that kind of help you on your competitive journey? <laughs> yeah. Man, so he he was definitely like one of my mentors and idols. Um another one was Hironori Me cuz okay. when he Hiro actually lived in Chico while he was studying um oh, okay. in, at university. Yeah. And so in that same kind of time, Hero was also one of my mentors. And then Thad Winsens, who um, is part of the the U.S. like National Federation and stuff. And okay. basically, Hero and Thad are like the ones that created the the judging system. Okay. Um, wow, I have so many questions then, on that. We can, uh, we can <laughs> dig into that a little bit later. But yeah, sure. Yeah. But then going back to Augie. Um, so Augie was in like late high school when I first met him and when I first got into yo-yoing. Mm. Um and so and how, once in how a while, old were you at this, this stage, sorry to interject. Yeah, no, you're good. It was, I was like eight or nine. Okay. Yeah. And then, so I like totally idolized Augie. Um, I just thought he was the coolest person ever. Like he was always super nice to me and just like treated me just like 
he was just a really awesome dude. And like, I always looked up to him and he always, like, he was the one teaching me like, you know, he would have been the one to teach me double or nothing. Like, so it's pretty cool. Um, and then when I got back into competing, uh, when I got back into yo-yoing, like in middle school and started competing, um, Augie was actually studying at the university, the same one that I said hero did Chico state Mm. university right there. Right. Um, And so he was like always there. He was always Mm. at the yo-yo club every weekend. And Mm. so, and then I was like, you know, 13 years old. And so I was a little bit more mature. And so as, as a couple of years went on, um, and I was like 14, 15, I got into high school. Like we started to kind of become like form more of a friendship. Mm. Um, so it was this really cool situation where like this person that I totally idolized, <laughs> like was becoming a really good friend. Um, and now like we're best of friends. Like I was just a groomsman in his wedding oh, like, wow. a while ago, like four or back in November. And like, we're, we're really close friends now. Mm. Uh, so yeah, it's definitely thankful for Augie. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Did he, did he ever give you like, um, competition pointers or like trick feedback or anything oh, that yeah. helped you get like a competitive edge? Yeah. So I mean, pretty much every weekend, um, you know, it's, it's similar to like when, when people have meetups at contests, like they, Mm. they share the tricks that they've been working on. Mm. Uh, they show each other their routines, but we were able to do that like every weekend. Um, and then as I started to get older, we would just like hang out as friends and do the same thing. Um, cause during that time he was still competing a little bit. Yeah. Um, and I was really like on the come up with competing and starting mm. to do pretty well. in contests. And so, but even as I was first getting into competing, I just remember like having Augie constantly wanting to learn tricks from Augie. Mm. Um, and just like he would, he would, you know, that whole group, Augie and hero and Thad, they all kind of gave me the foundation to like, learn how to compete. Yeah, that's, yeah, yeah it's amazing. Now you're just looking back on it, right? You had an understanding of the scoring system um, and you had someone to kind of like point you in the right directions regarding tricks. So that's that's yeah. super cool. Um, so as a general time period, when was this? Was this 2010, 2009? <laughs> like what, what yeah. kind of period was this? So it would have been like when I first got into it was 2005. Okay. So I, I yo-yo 2005, 2006 and then took a little bit of a break and then um, like about two year break and then got back into it like maybe in the middle of 2008. Mm. And and so then um, May 2009 was my, my first like – contest real yep. contest um cool. so i had about like a year to practice yeah. after that and then i was just like from that point just like full force from may to february and then that's when i competed in seattle and then yep. like i said i think took off from that point yeah 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 um so that's that's super interesting to me so around and this was from my perspective as you know a kid on youtube um halfway across the world completely disconnected physically from the scene but from 2011 to 2013 you really became like this prolific competitor almost winning and (laughs) placing in in everything that um everything that he basically competed in so 
Um, was it 2011 you first competed in Worlds? Yeah, so 2011, yeah, was my first Worlds. 2010 was my first Nationals, but mm. at that time, the U.S. Nationals was happening after Worlds. Mm, so, like, yep. I competed in October at Nationals, and I got fourth there. Yeah. And... Um, October. Yeah. And then in the summer I, I flew to Orlando for worlds and yeah. And then yeah. You, put, you placed third that year, right? Yeah. Yeah. It, that was a crazy year, man. Yeah. I placed <laughs> yeah. third. That was, yeah, and it was, it was the craziest too. Cause like that was when Marcus had his two switch outs. Mm. Um, but like, it's funny because I still to this day, like Marcus 100% deserved that first place title yeah. and it's always fun i hear people like saying oh <laughs> he shouldn't have like he had two switch outs but it's like his tricks that year were like levels yeah. above everyone at the contest <laughs> and so i remember just being like that was my first world i was just like beyond stoked mm. to get yeah. third place like and but i think we were all like a half a point away from each other so like mm. sebastian Sebastian Brock beat me by like 0.1 points or something. And I was like 0.5 behind Marcus. It was the weirdest thing, man. But like, so yeah. And it was definitely like a learning experience to go and like do really well at worlds. And then after that, keep kind of chasing it. And then, you know, the year after, after that, I didn't land my routine as cleanly Mm -hmm. as I wanted to. Um, so yeah, it was, it was a good learning experience, but I think it's, it's good that I didn't win that year. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and just yeah. had this huge inflated, like, man, this is the world is mine. <laughs> it just wouldn't have been right. Yeah. I wasn't ready, but it, it was a lot of fun. I, I think that's still one of the routines that I'm most proud of. Mm. It's, um, it's interesting because actually Marcus was another one of the guys who I interviewed for this. And, um, even he didn't think he was going to win that year while he was performing. So, um, but it was, it was definitely, um, yeah, a very competitive year, but just yeah. in regards to 2011, so, uh, 2011 to, to 2013 around uh-huh. this time, you, uh, you had the super G as kind of like a signature yo-yo. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I feel as if that's kind of been overshadowed by the shutter. Like, not a lot of people talk about it anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. But, yeah. Well, um, so the, oh, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, no. But um, if you look back to the videos of how you played in 2011 to, like, maybe 2013-ish, it's completely different to how you play in 2000 and even 2014. Yeah. Um, so I guess my question is twofold. Like, um, was there a, a moment where you're like, okay, we need to change everything. And did the yo-yo change have anything to do with that? So f- changing from the super G to the shutter. Um, I think the yo-yo change didn't have anything to do with like my, like, I think the yo-yo change came after because I wanted something different. Okay. Um, uh, but really like at that, like in 2010, like going back to my first nationals and then going back to my first world in 2011, like during that time, my, my style was still like completely at like evolving. Like I was still, I still hadn't really been yo-yoing that much. Like, okay. I, 
did, I had those two years of like foundational experience when I was younger, but mm. then like my first contest was then 2009. Yep. So then I only had like two years from like my first contest where then mm. I was like competing worlds for the first time. So like my style was still like, I was still like a 14 year old kid that had like a very developing style still, Okay, but I just approached the contest in like a very strategic way. Yep. And I was clean. So like, and at that time, I think it was, it was, I don't want to say it was easier to place well at contests. It mm. was just very, different. Mm. um, a lot of players now are like being very smart about, um, like, and strategic in their approach with yep. competing. Um, whereas before people were just kind of like doing tricks they wanted on stage and like trying to make cool routines. And so yep. it was just very different. So I think my tricks, like a lot of players now are so good, like technically, mm. but their approach is the part where they need to work on to do better at contests. Yep. So like if I looking back on myself, then, um, my tricks and stuff were still really developing and like by no yep. means did I have like the best tricks, but, but I brought like a very well-rounded routine to the table and not as many people were doing that. Mm. Um, and I think I just like was smart in the strategy. Yeah. Um, so I was able to do well, but I think, I think the, the kind of style change that had happened from that point through like 20, let's say 2013. Yeah. Uh, I was still trying to like learn new tricks all the time. And I really didn't know that many tricks. Yeah. Um, cause I had only been back into yo-yoing like from the point when I stopped when I was 10 years old and then I started again at 12, I was only back into yo-yos for like two years. Okay. So I didn't really wow. have that much time to like really develop a style or develop like, yeah, you, yeah. you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I think, then in 2013, um, I really like, I really wanted to win worlds. And I remember in 2012, um, I was told that like, I was asking hero, um, yeah. why I got sixth place in 2012. Mm. And I, I know I didn't hit my routine super clean. Mm. Um, but he was telling me, a lot of the Japanese judges were really strict on these specific aspects of the tricks. And so I was like, okay, so I need to change my tricks a little bit in order to like actually have a chance at winning. What, um, um what, 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 what were these specific aspects? Do you remember? Yeah, so I was doing, if you look back at the 2012 routine, like I had a lot of, um, small technical tricks in front of my body that utilized a lot of like underpasses with my thumb mm and like small maneuvers that were like very similar to each other. Mm. Um, and so hero was telling me like, you really need to have a lot more variety within your elements. Like you need to broaden the types of tricks you're doing. Um, and so at that time, like even going into 2013, like I was really trying to improve that. Yeah. Um, and then I didn't make finals at worlds in 2013. Yeah. So I was able to do like my nationals routine was the freestyle I was going to do at worlds in 2013. Mm. Yeah. So then I was able to win nationals with that routine and then really take that whole year to th the rest of the year up until worlds to think, okay, I want to win worlds, but what do I actually have to do to make that happen? Mm. Uh, and I was looking at the players who were winning worlds. Yeah. Um, like I was looking at, 
the players who um, people thought had the potential to win, w- mm. which mainly everyone was thinking either Iori or Takeshi was going to win. Mm. And so Takeshi was very much different than everyone else because he's yeah. like a very like niche, like yeah, a very unique style of tricks that he does. He he does a lot of like unique slack elements and stuff, which are very different from everyone else. But like Iori was a little bit more like on track with what the other contenders were kind of doing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so I was thinking like, okay, what are these other people like Iori, Takeshi, Zach, um, Gormley, um, <laughs> Hiroki Suzuki, uh, all of these people, like, what are they doing that I can't do? That was my thought. And I'm like, if there's something that they're doing that I can't do, then why should I be crowned the champion above them? Like if I want to mm. win, I have to be able to do everything they're doing. So yeah. that was kind of my okay. approach with that. And so looking at like my 2013 nationals versus 2014 worlds. Yeah. I think that was like the, one of the biggest, well, definitely the biggest leap of like skill that I had mm. up until that point. Um, and that's when I started doing like speed combos. Yeah. And I don't, I don't remember, but like during that time, really the only players that were doing speed combos were, Japanese players. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You were just crushing the prelims at worlds every year and the semifinals. And I always kind of thought like, Oh, those tricks are so easy, but I had no idea that like it was this whole different level of trick that like takes a different type of skill. Yeah. Um, So even looking at like worlds 2014, there, there weren't a lot of people doing speed combos or like railing combos. Yeah. Yeah. So, And so I think like after I won that year with this approach of like having a well-rounded trick set and like making sure that I could do everything, like now you see everyone doing speed combos and like, and I think, yeah, I don't know. It's interesting. (laughs) Yeah, no, it's, yeah, that was something that I was gonna, gonna mention as well. Um, prior to this, it was almost as if every kind of, no, like demographic kind of had its own style right so yeah. the american yeah. style was very almost kind of in line with how jensen played um i know he's canadian but he had a big impact on the american scene so there's a lot of and undercuts too, yeah. and and yuki spencer kind of style yeah. whereas the asians or the japanese would kind of be like all right we want to play like hiroyuki suzuki so they had you know the speed combos and it was this two kind of um yeah, these these two different styles of play, and I feel as if when you got up on stage and were like, "Screw it, you know what? You know what? We can do like speed combos as well." Um, that kind of really blurred the line. So now everyone just looks for the uh, the optimal trick set, I guess. Yeah, but yeah, it's it's fun, and I I like to take credit for that because like <laughs> I think it's cool. Like I I really wanted to take that approach of like, all right, I got to be able to do speed combos too. And I remember thinking like, Oh, no one's going to expect a, a speed combo for me. And then yeah. I was, I was stoked to pull it out on stage and people went so crazy. Like yeah. the audience yeah. was crazy. They were like, what the heck? Where did that come from? Mm, yeah. I, I remember it's actually really embarrassing. I made a reaction video to that and I was like, damn speed combo. I was Dude, not I expecting that reaction video. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> I that. <totally> <laughs> I, uh, I love that, that's in the in the YouTube archive somewhere that uh <laughs> I love watching that that was like one of the first, I remember as soon as you like uploaded that 
I, I've, I've actually watched that a few times. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's yeah. Anyone who that, yeah. Oh gosh. Anyway, but I guess kind of, kind of going on to that, it's, um, when you're a competitor, um, you only kind of see the audience as it is on stage. Um, and you don't see these like hundreds of thousands of people who are watching you online. Right. So I thought it'd be, it'd be an interesting, um, insight for you as a, as a competitor. Uh, what do you mean? Like just the idea that like, while you're up on stage, there's actually a lot more than just that audience there watching you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. Not at that specific moment. I mean, sure. There's people in the live streams, but those videos, they like live on and you know, it's a source of inspiration for like so many other players that you may not have met or may (laughs) never meet, but they've still kind of derived, um, inspiration from you. Yeah. I think I don't, I don't think I've ever actually thought about that in the moment. Like, of course I've, I've thought about this before, but like while I'm going up on stage to compete, Mm. like, I don't think, I think I'm really just focusing on doing my thing and like making sure I can, I can make my routine look good and stuff. Cause there's already so much to focus on. Um, yeah. so yeah, that's true, man. I, I just hadn't <laughs> thought of that. Like while I was going yeah. up on stage. Okay. Um, kind of backing track a little bit. I want to talk about, um, your trip to Japan and yeah. what that entailed and, there was this big kind of like Gentry's training in Japan, but could you kind of dig a little bit deeper? Like what did you do while you were in Japan um, from a competitive standpoint? Oh yeah. So, I mean, originally the, the main point of that trip wasn't, wasn't, it's not like I went there just to train. Like I went there to go spend time. That was, I mean, that was the first time I had ever left the U S was going to Japan before worlds. Um, And I stayed there for about a month. Um, Mm. and hero showed me how he ran his business and, um, I was able to, you know, create a relationship with the Japanese players Mm. and also of course practice with them too. Um, and so at that point I already had like my routine done. Um, so like the routine was pretty much completely done. I just had a couple things that I changed throughout that month. Um, but really it was just mainly, practicing with the Japanese players, um, figuring out new practice techniques, um, even just, just practicing with like Ray Irakura was like the craziest thing. And like, I remember being nervous to do my routine in front of him, but then by the end of the month, like it was, I didn't feel nervous because he was my friend. Um, Um, still someone I looked up to, but like also a friend at that point. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, it just, it really helped me a lot. It allowed me to, um, practice more efficiently. Um, it allowed me to be a lot more comfortable with my routine. And I also spent some time with John Ando for about a Mm. week and formed a really awesome friendship with him. And he helped me a little bit with, um, the performance side of my routine. And we can definitely dig into that. Came around in Prague, like it just felt like everything felt right. And like, it just felt like it was meant to happen. And then I don't know, it is, it's a fun experience to reflect on for sure. Yeah. Um, just digging into that a little bit deeper, you, you mentioned, um, specific, uh, practice techniques and making it more efficient. Could you go into depth? Like, was there a specific, um, way the Japanese practice 
that was different to how say Americans might practice? Yeah, I don't I don't know if I want to say like a specific way the Japanese practice. I think it was more of like a specific way the top level players that I was with were practicing. Okay. Um, so a little less of like the main generalization, yeah. just comparing like how I normally would practice to how Ray and Shin, like Ray Urakura yep. and Shinyakudo. And, um, and so a, f- a few of those things, um, looking into like what tricks I was doing and making sure that I could land them all. So like if there were tricks that I couldn't hit, they just really emphasize the fact that like I need to take them out um, okay. and make sure like I, I can be clean because that's the most important thing is to land mm. the tricks. Okay. Um, it's still easy to forget, man. Like, Oh, I, it's still, it's so easy to forget that because it's so tempting to want to yeah. like have that extra crazy trick in there. Um, but then also like practicing the routine all the way through, which is still, I basically learned like foundational things from them that I still try to remember to do now, like practicing the routine all the way through, especially when you mess up. Like if you're 30 seconds into the routine and you're practicing, you're doing a run through and you, you get a knot in your yo-yo, like Mm. while you're practicing, have that backup yo-yo ready and like run through it as if you're on stage. Yeah. That was one of the biggest things I learned from them, which like I said, I don't, (laughs) I don't that all the time. I I try to, Mm. Um, but yeah, so I think those, those two things Um, and also just, consistently practicing in front of other yo-yo players and like okay. working the routines together. Um, yeah. that was really helpful. That's, that's interesting. Um, that's something I don't, don't do actually very often. Um, when I kind of make my own routine, I kind of, you know, I, I guess there's also a lot less players in Australia, but I don't, um, I find it very nerve wracking to actually perform in front of other yo-yo players because they know every single miss that, has happened exactly Exactly. um, yeah that's that's definitely something i'm gonna i'm gonna take away and uh yeah (laughs) um related side note question was there any um uh difference in i guess work ethic were you like oh crap they're practicing four or five hours a day i should step up my game to kind of meet that or was that more or less kind of just strategic ways um Let's see. I mean, at that point I was, I was practicing like a lot anyways. I Mm. remember spending like leading up to my first worlds in 2011, I would spend so much of the summer practicing like Mm. so much of the summer. But I think, I think they kind of just being around them. I don't want to say I didn't take it seriously because I totally took yo-yoing seriously and I'm extremely competitive and like I wanted to win but at the same time um I didn't like I don't I don't really know how to explain it I think they just kind of viewed yo-yoing in a little bit different way than I did okay and so it's really cool to experience that and be around that and kind of allow some of that viewpoint to kind of um to embrace some of that myself. Yeah. Uh, so like they would, for, for one example, mm. I would practice a lot throughout the day, but they would specifically schedule like today I'm going to spend 
these six hours from this time to this time practicing. Like, Oh wow. Okay. I, would do. I was like, I might've spent the same amount or more time yep. practicing, but it would have been spaced throughout the day. And I might not have been like thinking of it as practice. Mm. Uh, so I think I, I believe it's important to have both. I believe it's mm. really important to like have fun and mess around and have that as practice too. But it's also really important to like have that scheduled grind time where you're like, okay, I'm practicing like this is a grind. Like this isn't just for fun. Like I need to yeah. get this done. Um, so just having that balance, I think is really mm. important. Something that, um, definitely helped me. Yeah. I think a follow-up question to that is there have been moments, um, you know, in my, um, <laughs> modest yo in career where I've been like, okay, time to dig deep. But, um, I know you, you talk about these crazy practice hours. So like four or five hours. And for me, from a technical point of view, I can only, and, and I'm trying my best to not make this sound like a cop out, but I can only focus on drilling through a routine, say for at most about an hour until after that point, it's just, I'm tired. I'm making mistakes and I'm doing more damage. I'm, I'm like practicing the mistakes more than I'm practicing the consistent yeah. elements. So what do you do to kind of increase your, uh, your endurance or, or basically derive a lot of value from like a big six hour practice block? Yeah. So I think, um, it's interesting, man. And especially after this year, I'm not really sure what the best way to practice is. I really think, um, it's, it's hard because there's so many different things to practice and it really depends yeah. on, um, what stage you are in your practice. So like then I, we had like these eight, like six to eight hour practice days, but it wasn't like we were necessarily yo-yoing the entire eight hours straight, like yeah, eight hours like of the routine. Cause that, that would be like, I don't know how many hundred routine run throughs, but yeah, like crazy. It wasn't, that. um, it was very much like we would all get together and like, I might, um, let's just say we, we all warm up and like yo-yo for like an hour. And then after that point, it would be like four of us maybe. And so we would, we would all run through our routine in front of each other. And then I might go like practice my routine three to five times in a row right after that by myself. And then like, for 30 minutes, like throw one of the tricks and like practice that trick and then like mm. take a 20 minute break and like eat a snack and like let my sweat dry and like, <laughs> and then like get at it. So they, a lot of the days were like really intense days. Yeah. Uh, and I would be tired and I would be like super sweaty and just like drained at the end of the day. Yeah. Uh, and so, but at that point, like I already had my tricks like pretty consistent and stuff. Um, but looking at like this year preparing for the worlds, um, I had to create like a whole new or last year, sorry, 2018 yeah. world. Mm. I, I prepared like an entirely new trick set, like 90% of the tricks were new. Yeah. So for that one, like I, I took a kind of a new approach to practicing, um, because I had to focus a lot more on like getting consistent with my tricks yeah. versus creating like a routine that was really um, well-rounded and like, yeah, making it as perfect as I could. Yeah. Um, 
I spent like all this extra time just practicing the tricks and I would like set a timer for 20 minutes and just throw that one trick for 20 minutes straight and then do that three different times for that trick and do that for like five or six tricks during that day. So I would have like literally like four hours of like documented, not just for like a four hour section of the day, but like actual four hours of the yo-yo spinning. Oh wow. (laughs) Like it, what it didn't work. Like it worked to a point because I was able to get a little bit of my consistency. Like, I was yep. able to create a whole new set of tricks and become fairly consistent at them. Yep. But then I messed them up at worlds. <laughs> and so I realized like it, it takes a lot more than just grinding, grinding, grinding and practicing the tricks for like six hours in one day for a, like a long period of time. It takes like actual time to not just practice time, but like, over a year, regardless of how much you practice to be able to get consistent. Um, and so like for this year for worlds, it's so different than I haven't, there hasn't even been one time this year where I've like, like been there and been like, all right, I'm going to practice yo-yo for 20 minutes. I haven't, I haven't practiced really like, in the same way that I did last year, this year at all. And we're only mm. five months in the contest, Yeah, but I feel just as confident that I can place well in the contest or even like win again than I did before because it's taken more time. And even though I haven't been practicing, my tricks feel even like better than they did before. Mm. Um, so mm. I know that like now when I have a couple months of dedicated practice, while still maintaining a balance in my life, I realized that's really, really important yeah. too. Yeah. Cause I, man, I lost like all the balance in my life. I was just grinding for worlds and it did not work. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and so this year, like I'm definitely taking a much more balanced approach. I've been back in the gym, like doing <laughs> other things and like, um, still yo-yoing sometimes. Um, but I, I still feel like my tricks have gotten even more, like I feel more comfortable with the tricks now. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's definitely something very interesting, um, to kind of like put a personal experience. Um, as I was training for ANYC, I was, um, Australian nationals, very much smaller scale competition, but, um, what I would try to do was I would try to, uh, I'd have my, my, my girlfriend at the time and she just have this, this one clicker and every single time I, and I do my routine in front of her and every single yeah. time I would miss, she would click. And uh-huh. I basically just calculated or tracked my negatives, um, throughout the, the month I was practicing for ANYC. And I thought that was a very prudent strategic way to kind of go about it. But then I was talking to Marcus and he's like, dude, you looked so nervous when you were doing those tricks. It's almost yeah. as if you weren't thinking about landing the tricks. You were thinking about not missing them. <laughs> yeah, and, dude, it's huge. This is the yeah. yeah. And that just, okay. and yeah, and similar to you, like I put in, you know, as much time as I could for ANYC, but yeah, my, my freestyle also bombed that year. So it's a very interesting kind of mindset approach to it almost. Yeah, man, it's, it's huge, man. You literally, I could have, if you would, yeah, I could have said the exact same words. Like 
if you get into your own head like that and make it so much about landing things perfect and being so consistent, like you mm. will get into your own head. Yeah. And, and like you said, it's at that point, because ideally we shouldn't have to think about landing the trick. Really. We should just be able to yeah. do it because it's consistent. But like if you are, so if you put so much effort into like getting the tricks consistent, like you mm. will freak yourself out and get in your own head. And that's what happened to me at worlds mm. in Shanghai. Um, was I totally got in my own head. I was thinking I have to win this. Like it wasn't just that I wanted to in my head. Like I had to. Right. And so it wasn't going to happen because of that. Mm, Yeah. Okay. Um, so that's, that's super insightful and I'm, I'm so glad you kind of brought that up, but something I'm, I'm personally very curious about is (laughs) the replay stunt the U.S. Nationals replay stunt. Um, yeah. For those of you guys who don't know the context behind this, everyone should know the context behind this. But um, yeah, um, actually, well, why don't I let you explain the story? And um, yeah, yeah whose whose idea was that? Like, and how did you go about like preparing for that? Uh, do you want me to just like tell the whole? Yeah, the whole just story? the whole the whole the whole okay. arc. That'd be interesting. So, so after I won worlds. I talked to Ben from Yo-Yo Factory and I said, Hey, I really want to have a signature model yo-yo that is meant for beginners. Yeah. And so we took the, um, one of the, some of the Yo-Yo Factory yo-yos and I told, I told him like what I feel a beginner yo-yo should be. Mm. And so we created the replay. This was while we were on the, the Asia tour. Mm. Um, so I think we were like sitting down somewhere at some restaurant in China, just talking about this or maybe Hong Kong or something. Yeah. And we're like, okay. Um, we talked some ideas and we like drew up some ideas for replay. And then soon after that we created that. And then we thought, okay, we need to create like, or actually in that design, we also wanted it to be a really good unresponsive yo-yo. Mm. If you put a bearing in it. Yeah. And so, um, we created that. And then while I think I was in like Las Vegas for the Las Vegas yo-yo opener and I got the prototype of the yo-yo and, and I remember like, and then I think after that I might've gone on another Asia tour or something, but basically like we had all these ideas for the yo-yo, the yo-yo came together. And then another time when I was with Ben in Asia, he was talking about how like, you know, like Mickey used to like compete at the <laughs> with, with his plastic yo-yos from yo-yo jam. And I was like, Oh really? That could be like a really good way. For anyone, like, this is Hirohi Suzuki. And I'm like, oh. <laughs> and I'm like, but, but not only could it be a really cool way to like get people hyped on the yo-yo, it could also be a really cool way to like, prove a point that like people don't need to spend a lot of money on a yo-yo to be an awesome yo-yo player and to like have a yo-yo that works really well for them. Mm. Um, cause like even when I first, when I first started competing and stuff, man, like I, I couldn't afford to like buy a ton of expensive yo-yos and like yeah. go to yo-yo contests. Like I got, I, I had a lot of like I had to figure out different ways that I could even go to worlds in 2011 and like yo-yo factory helped me out with that. But if it wasn't for yo-yo factory, I wouldn't have been able to go for to worlds in 2011. Mm. So like I knew what it was like to not be able to get like a super expensive yo-yo and have like all these expensive yo-yos. So Mm. I just wanted to show like, okay, 
you can do the like a <laughs> national champion level routine yep. with a yoga that only costs this much, like 16 bucks. And so yeah. I just wanted to show people they didn't need an expensive yo-yo. Um, and so it just kind of all of those things together, it turned into this big story. And also after that, that, that was the 2015 nationals, which was like the, I think the next contest I competed in after worlds. Yeah. And so I was like having fun and like, mm. actually, no, sorry, that's not true. Um, <laughs> it was, I went and I messed up my routine at worlds in 2015 in Japan. And I was, so I was yeah, like, you know, yeah. I just want to like have fun. I'm going to do the plan with the replay. And like, I just remember being in like the room behind the stage and like taking my replay box. It was like a brand new replay, <laughs> like taking it out of the box, never thrown it before. Like I threw a kitty string on it and then I like just oh, went on and used it. And it was like, it was, yeah, it worked out really well, but that's, I think um, that's um, ballsy, man. I, I have so many questions regarding that. So I think every yo-yo player on some level knows that, after yo-yos get a certain price it's all marketing and branding right it's all it's there's no real real competitive edge that being said i even if i had a plastic yo-yo that i knew was capable of of winning a contest i would still have apprehensions of using it i'd be like oh you know my my high performance metal yo-yo is right there like it's the tried and true set was there ever a moment of like crap man i could really lose u.s nationals because i've decided to do the stunt in in your mind you gotta you have to be able to let go of the ego and just be like (laughs) trust it because like really i mean the point of the replay pro like i mean the point of replay was to create a yo-yo that in my opinion was the best yo-yo to learn on but Mm. then of course in that design like i said we wanted it to also be capable of doing anything so like yeah I really didn't to be completely honest. Like I didn't feel like the yo-yo was holding me back whatsoever. Like I felt like it was, it was stable enough to do the horizontal stuff. Like it, it's a pretty heavy yo-yo. It's fun pretty long for all my tricks. Like, I don't know. I didn't really feel at all. Like the yo-yo would hold me back. Um, okay. Um, so I don't know. I I didn't really feel nervous. (laughs) Okay. Follow up question. Um, a friend of mine, um, Vuho, I'm not sure if you've ever met him. He has yeah, got I met, this... uh, I met him in Tokyo. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. he's, um, he's also kind of, um, a, a good friend of mine and he has this superstition that if you don't practice with the yo-yo, you're going to compete with like the difference in playability kind of throws you off and you don't hit as clean as you normally do. Um, were you practicing with replays prior to, um, for nationals or were you kind of like, Oh, I'll play with the shutter and last minute, let's switch to the replay. Um, I was practicing with replays. Well, I didn't, I didn't practice that. I had practiced so much for worlds 2015 with shutter. Yeah. Like all I practiced for worlds 2015, trying to defend my title, messed up the routine, switched yo-yos in the first 30 seconds. And then I didn't practice very much after that up until like maybe a month or two before nationals. Yeah. And then I was, I was just throwing replay. Okay. I think on that topic, like, I think that's another thing about getting in your own head, like, especially as you, as you care so much about 
placing well and doing your routine well. Like mm. it's so easy to get so caught up in like, what's my string length? What yo-yo am I using? What, like all of these things, like how, what, mm. how am I practicing? Like all of these things, it's so easy to let that get into your own head. But like so many of these yo-yos are really good yo-yos. Like none of these things really make that much of a difference. I mean, yep. they do, mm. but it's possible to like mm. not care about any of that and still do well. Yeah. So if, if you can have an understanding of that, then you can know like, okay, I can just try to let go of all that. Just enjoy myself on stage. Know mm. that my practice will take over. Like it's all, it's all going to work out. <laughs> so I think, I think, um, of course, if you were to go from like using a wide yo-yo to like a thinner one, it's like yeah. a lot like it might be, it might be kind of difficult, but like, um, I mean, I designed the replay to be able to like handle all those tricks. So like, yeah, okay. I feel like I was going to like a yo-yo that was harder to do the tricks on really. Mm. Um, so just trying to let go of the ego and just like have fun. Yeah. And, yeah. It's, it's interesting actually, because it, it, it almost seemed as if, and I know the routine changed a little bit, but it's almost as if the, uh, the replay routine was cleaner than the world's one, the U S national oh, ones. So yeah, dude. And that's the thing, man. I think it had partly to do with the fact that I used the replay because for that content for worlds 2015, I was so caught up in trying to defend my title. Mm. And like, I was nailing my routine at like 95% consistently. Like I remember yeah. being in the Airbnb in Japan and like showing all the guys from Europe showing like practicing with everyone. And I was just like nailing it mm. like multiple times with only like one or two negatives. And then I got up on stage and, and had to switch yo-yos in the first 30 seconds. Yeah. And so, and so I think after that point, I was just like, you know what I need to, step back a little bit and just like reevaluate why I'm doing this. And like, that's what I did. And then I used the replay and it just like became more fun and became less in my head and less stressful. And like, I was able to just kind of hit the routine better, I think. So I think actually using the, the replay had a big, played a big factor. Yeah. That's yeah. It's, it's interesting how we've kind of stumbled upon this theme of, um, of mindset and like getting in your own head and how important that is for competition. Um, just, I think, uh, this is a good segue into that. Do you have any pre-contest routines or, or rituals that you'll do to kind of get you, get you in the zone? So for example, I know that Marcus, um, he goes out and he goes and gets a massage the day before, um, and you know, he'll, he'll eat all his, his nice foods and he'll, he'll, he'll pamper himself basically yeah, all in yeah. the name of, um, getting in the zone. Is there anything you do along the same lines or, uh, um, it's hard to say like each, I think each, well, over the last few years, I've really only competed at nationals and worlds mm. and each year has been very different. Okay. Um, what I used to say is that I would try to treat the pre-contest time, like just like I would treat every other day. Okay. Um, and, and I, I say, I, I used to say that because for worlds 2018, I totally lost track of that. Yeah. And it just reminds 
me how important that is. Mm. Uh, and so I, that's my answer again now is that like, yeah, I, I think it's for me, I try to just treat it as if it's just a normal day because the more like other factors you bring into it, the more you're, you're like allow yourself to get into your own head or the more you put mm. that pressure on yourself. Um, so if it's just another day, like, yeah, it is the day at the contest, but mm. if you try to just like relax and treat it as another day, then, um, I think it can be a little more natural. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. All right. This is, um, yeah. this is a topic I really kind of wanted to talk to you about. So this is kind of a double, yeah. um, double question evals and choreography what would you say is um if if you were talking to a player who's you know great on the technical front but sucks on evals um what would your advice be to a player like that and as a kind of i'm not sure if this is relevant to that but john ando how did he kind of help your evals kind of journey oh dude john has been the biggest like I can't even describe how much of a help he has been like and he's also been so patient with me too like we've become (laughs) really really close friends yeah um but like he like I can literally not thank him enough like anytime there's a chance where I'm prepping for a contest like for worlds usually um there's been like three times where he has like pretty much dropped everything to like spend time (laughs) with me. And a lot of that time is like helping me and like answering questions I have. And like, and so he's just like, I'm so thankful for him. Um, gosh, I just remember like, like even this year, he like worked a bunch, like the week before I came to visit him in Japan and like, then he took a week off and like, cause he got all this other work done and then like a whole week with me and just like helped me. And like, it it was, yeah, honestly, I, I have John to thank for like most of what I've like pretty much everything that I've accomplished (laughs) in like the last few years with yo-yoing. Um, just cause he's been so helpful and like willing to, to, yeah. Yeah. It's what, what, are some of the kind of things he'll he'll point out will he be like hmm don't like how this music cue sounds or i don't like the way you choreographed this trick or this looks funny like what what are some of the things he would do to prod you in the right direction or help you out yeah i think all of that i think mostly just the fact that he is somebody that i really have a lot of respect for and like know that he, he, he always brings up like a different idea and, but he's also very like patient in the fact that like, if he brings up an idea to me, like a lot of the time what would happen is he would bring up an idea and like, I wouldn't necessarily want to do that exact thing, but that would give me another idea of something that I really felt comfortable doing. So like Mm. just the fact that like he was he was willing to like spend that time with me and like give me like his creative, um, opinions and like all of that. Um, and that just really helped. But I talked mostly about, about, um, my experience with like John helping me, but I didn't really answer too much about like the specific, uh, yeah, no, I mean, that's, yeah, this is definitely, yeah, but yeah. Yeah. So, 
Um, so what was the, what was the specific question about evals again? So, um, you know, you, you like, what would, what, what advice would you give to someone who wants to boost their evals? Cause a lot of players don't understand. Well, I mean, most players do, but evals are 40% of the score, right? So if you bomb evals, you can have the best tech and still lose. So, yeah, I think it's, it's tough, especially like recently in competitions, like, yeah, evals are 40% of your score, but usually judges it's, it's a current trend. Like, and it has been in the last four or five years that Mm. like, Judges aren't really for a lot of the time they're not really willing to give out low scores. Okay. And so I think it's become a lot more focused on the technical end than I okay. would like. Um so I think even though on paper it's worth 40% of your score, yeah. I think a lot of the time the spread of evals is always so low and like most of the scores are at least a 5 to 6 out of 10. Like most yeah. of the score are usually like at least a three out of five mm. at least. Okay. So then it, so then that's really only taking like, what is that? 40% of the 40%. Yeah. Because if, if you're only using yeah. the, like the three to five, then that's two points that that evals were. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I'm not saying judges need to use the whole spread. Like I think yeah. if everyone's really bad, everyone should get a low score. If everyone's really good, everyone should mm. get a high score. Yeah. But when there's the situation where some players are like really amazing in certain categories, but yeah. really don't focus on others, I think it's really important for the judges to give um, scores that reflect that. Okay. Um, so someone can have amazing tricks. Mm. Someone can have like amazing um, execution and control but they might not really use the music at all. The crowd might still be super hyped, Yeah. but like they might deserve like a, a one or even a zero yeah. out of five, like a one yeah. out of five in music use. But I don't think that really happens. Um, so while I, I do still think the evals are very important, even yeah. considering all of that. Um, and so I think to answer that part of the question, like, really it just comes down to spending time on the evals. And I think yeah. a lot of players obviously spend time, but like in order to create a routine that takes those evals to like a new level or like mm. a step above what the standard currently is, I think you have to spend a lot, a lot more time is should be spent on the evals than a lot of people give it. I think. Okay. Um, yeah. yeah. And so, um, there's like that realization that needs to be made that like everyone has a certain amount of time that they can put into the competition. And so you have a lot of players who like are really amazing technically. Um, Mm -hmm. like their tricks are awesome, really difficult. Um, and so of course if they spend 80 or 90% of their time on the tricks, of course the tricks are going to be amazing. Mm -hmm. But if you spend, 60% 60% of the time on the tricks and 40% on the evals, then of course the tricks aren't, might not be as amazing, mm. but the whole routine is more well-rounded. So I think it's very important to recognize the current trends in judging. So, yeah. um, looking at what's actually happening with the scores and, 
Um, as much as I don't want to say that, like mm-hmm. I would love to say like everyone should spend more time on evals, mm-hmm. right? Cause that will lead to more entertaining routines and more people mm-hmm. want to get into doing because of that. And like the yep. contests are more fun and, yeah. um, but I think it's really important to recognize the trends. Um, and so spend time on the aspects of your yo-yoing that you want to improve on. And that's my biggest, my biggest thing. Cause you're not going to improve your evals if you don't spend a lot yeah. of time working on. It. Yeah. Okay. Wow. That's, that's, question. Yeah. that's, um, that's interesting. Just as a side note, how, how do you pick up the trends of, do you just look at the score sheets every single time a contest finishes up and then kind of like cross check that with the freestyle and be like, Oh, okay. Evals didn't seem to have such a widespread or, or do you like, yeah. is that what you do? Is that how you figure out the trends? Pretty much. I mean, as you, as you look at the contests that happen throughout the year and you look at like what the routines are, um, and then see what kinds of scores players were given for those routines. Um, you can kind of see that the trends, you can see what those trends are. Mm. Um, but I think, I think something that like a lot of people could do is people try to like, um, they try to pick a song that they think is good for yo-yoing or that they, they have like this idea of what their routine should be like. Mm. Um, and that's like what they build from instead of having a vision themselves and like trying to make that vision come to life. Yeah. So if you're, if you're hearing a song thinking, Oh, other people would like this song. And that's what your foundation is. Instead of hearing a song and being excited about it because, oh, when that sound happens, I can visualize myself doing this trick I have to that yeah. part of the song. Or I can okay. visualize this type of trick that I don't even do yet. Mm. Uh, or like, whoa, that that part of the song like really makes me feel this way. And like if I feel if I like feel these specific emotions as I'm hearing this song, like how can I how can I make the audience feel that too kind of with like the tricks I'm doing and with the way I'm moving around the stage and stuff like that. Okay. Yeah. yeah that's, that's super insightful. Um, yeah. One, I guess a follow-up question from that is music, which is a huge topic that, um, yeah. that, that you could, um, you could probably talk about for hours, but I guess I want to talk about the specific pain point that everyone has is, how do you find and discover new music? Um, are you on Spotify? Do you crunch <laughs> through like Spotify playlists? Do you look at um, SoundCloud and look at the up and coming artists? Or are you are you on YouTube? How do you find your music? So, I actually, I actually have a top secret to this. <laughs> so. Back in 2010, when I first started competing, yeah. I actually, I know I told you I went to Japan the first time, mm. um, and that was the first time I uh, <laughs> left the U.S. In, in 2014. But actually, in 2010, I took a solo flight to the Norwegian Alps, and okay. I, I, I all the way to the tallest mountain in Norway, the snow-capped mountain, and I found this magical box 
that had every <laughs> yo-yo song that I would use for the rest of my yo-yo career <laughs> in this magical box. And then I woke up from the dream. <laughs> and when I woke up from that dream, I went straight to YouTube and searched through songs for five hours that day. <laughs> so, no, man, there's no secret to it. Like... <laughs> Oh, I was excited there for a second. I was like, oh, are we going to finally get the answer to this? <laughs> I, I, I hope the, the listeners get excited too, and then they're all going to be mad at me. But no, I, I look for music is literally the same as everyone else. Like it just, you have to spend time looking at music. And so anytime I'm, I'm in the car, or anytime I'm at the gym or anytime I'm like, I'm always listening to music and trying to find music. Um, but also I will spend time specifically looking. So I'll go on YouTube, I'll go on Spotify, um, Pandora, like basically any music platform you can think of, like, yeah, I'll search for music. Mm. Um, and that's one of the biggest struggles I think with competing is like finding a song that you really like. Cause yeah. if you don't like, if you're not digging the song, the routine mm. is just not going to come off. Right. Um, so yeah, man, just, yeah, Lots it's it's interesting you should mention that because um I'm almost reluctant to use songs I like like obviously I like the songs that I use for competing but as as you would probably know after you've like repeated this song like 50 times every single day you get so sick of it and it's almost like it, it destroys your relationship <laughs> with that song <laughs> No dude I think I know what you mean, but I think for me, I actually still really like all the songs I compete with because it, it's almost like nostalgic kind of. So even, okay. and also with my editing, like I'll spend so much time editing the song too, that like I hear the song so much, but it makes me feel like I remember the process of creating the routine to mm. that song. So like I get stoked whenever I hear songs <laughs> that I've used, um, so yeah, I think, but that just might be me, me being weird. Yeah. Okay. Um, Cause I think I know a lot of people get really sick of the music and that's super common, but <laughs> I just kind of pumped up. You're just like, no nah, <laughs> so man, this like, is, this is, this is my I'm victory soundtrack. <laughs> Sometimes when I'm in the gym and I'm like trying to hit a, a new personal record, like I'll like throw on razor sharp or something <laughs> and I'll like, get all pumped up and like lift more weight than I ever could have before. <laughs> Oh, that's, that's awesome. <laughs> this is, this is, this could be related to the gym. Um, and this not, this is actually a question I've been wanting to ask you for a while. Um, yeah. you have, um, compared to most yo-yo players, a really good posture when you're on the stage. It's something that yeah separates you from most of the other players there are a lot of players that are technically great but they're like hunched over and this is something that um my 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 ex-girlfriend actually mentioned she's like why can't you like yo-yo like gentry you know he's always like oh, postured out. And i'm like man i'm trying to land this trick i don't care about posture but is posture oh. something something that um that you focus on and does the okay. gym have anything to so, do with that? So this is this is a huge. I'm glad you asked this question um, because this has I. Um, so there's a category in the evals called body control, mm. and which most everyone knows about body control, right? And posture is supposed to be like 
the way you, um, position your body and the posture you have while performing is a huge part of being able to like, of having body awareness and control of your body. Yeah. Um, and so to me, that's a huge part of like the presentation of the entire routine. So like, yeah, it's, it's harder to like maintain good posture and like think about the different ways you hold your body positioning as you're doing tricks. Yeah. Um, because if you don't focus on that, you can just focus on the trick. But mm. if you're focusing on the way your body looks as you're doing the trick, that's a whole mm. nother thing to think about. Yeah. Um, so it doesn't make it harder. So yeah, it's, um, I do think about that a lot. Okay. Um, and I think it's, you know, as much as it might not really be reflected in the scores, I yeah. personally think it's really important. Um, and that, that especially as like a judge, mm. um, cause I do judge like at worlds, um, I judge at nationals and for me, like posture is a huge part of the body control score. If a player is hunched over the whole time, mm. then that shows me that they don't, they're not aware that they're hunched over or maybe mm. they are aware and they're not able to fix it. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's part. so, so yeah, if that's a big part of the body, body control score is how do you posture your body and are you presenting your body in a way that's professional? Mm. Uh, so yeah, yeah. I'm glad you asked that question. Yeah. That's, um, yeah, that's super interesting. Um, just to dig into a bit deeper, how do you consciously like, let's say you, you know, a player with really bad posture myself, for example, what advice would you give them? Would you be like, just, just focus on the posture and I don't know, keep your back up straight, like concentrate on that a bit more, or is it a bit more subtle? Like, Oh, just feel like you're having a good time and your posture will fix itself. Um, yeah, there, I mean, there's been, there's been a lot of times where players at contests will ask me like, Hey, what can I do to improve? And a lot of the time, that's one of the first things I'll tell them actually. Yeah. Um, and I, I haven't really kn- like, I like watching your freestyles. I've never mm. thought like, Oh, Brandon's got terrible posture. Like no okay. way. But there's, there's some players that have asked me that like are very, very, very hunched over as they're doing their yeah. trick, um, and not thinking and their necks like very like, yeah. um, forward, like watching the trick intently. Mm. Um, and so really I just like getting your shoulders back and like, I mean, but that's like the most basic posture as you're yeah, just standing exactly, like what's yeah. the tech in front of your body. Like you want to, um, yeah, that's like the most basic, but just being aware of your body as you're yo-yoing. Um, and it's possible that like maybe a certain trick, like part of what you're trying to go for is the fact that you're like kind of hunched over and like making your body small and like bringing attention into there. Yeah. But that should be for a reason, right? Like not just because the player is not aware that their body is not being presented professionally. Mm. Um, okay. So yeah, that's something that I'll, I'll, one of the first things actually that I'll talk to someone about if I notice that. Okay. Wow. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah, definitely. Thanks for answering that one. That's something I was definitely, um, definitely curious about. So I almost um, want to, I mean, later after, after the podcast, I want to <laughs> like look at a video. I'll watch a video of you and I'll like, I can point out some areas maybe that I feel like you could improve the posturing and stuff on. 
Yeah. Um, but really cool. even just for something really simple that like people can do is like when you're doing your, your tricks in front, like your standard tech tricks in front of your mm. body, like just think about being aware of your body. And if you notice that your chest is kind of caved in mm. and that you're not thinking about, about your posture, like just try to open up a little bit and like, mm. um, just be aware of that. Yeah. Yeah. I guess, yeah, the first step to anything is kind of awareness. And um, yeah, so that's super interesting. Um, so I guess, you know, we've talked a lot about a lot about the past, but um, yeah, not a whole lot about the future. So, you know, you've been up to a lot recently. I mean, you've been smashing the uh, the YouTube uploads. You've launched a lot on gentrystein.com. Um, you've launched your yeah. own merch brand, Icon. Where did, where did all that come from? Like, Yeah, so really I've, these are things I've been wanting to do for a long time, but I haven't because I've been so focused on competing and Mm. trying to win worlds again. Um, and so I think this year at worlds, I had really built myself, built myself to up to this place where I felt like I had to win worlds in order to feel successful in yo-yoing. And I realized after I had messed up my routine, like, I think the reason I did mess up was because I did feel like I had to win to be successful. Yeah. And so I wanted to, I wanted to change that. Like I, I wasn't happy. Mm. I, I felt like a lot of the time, like pretty depressed, like for the, the couple months after worlds. And, um, I just didn't want to feel that way anymore. Um, and so I recognized that in order to not feel that way, if I'm going to still put the effort that I'm putting into yo-yos and yo-yos are still what I want to involve myself with, I need to figure out a way to, um, you know, bring some other things to the table aside from just competing. Mm. Um, and so a large part of that is, um, I've been starting doing some of the beginner tutorials. Of course, videos aren't for the people that are already in the industry. Um, community, like I want people to learn from me. Right. Mm. Um, because I have a way of teaching that I think that I want to share. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I want to, I, a big part of all of this is I want to bring more people into yo-yoing. Um, and I want to present yo-yoing in a specific way to them. Um, and so with the, with the icon stuff, um, really that just stemmed from, me feeling I'm actually going to probably make a, an entire video about this. Mm. Um, but I've always loved art growing up. Okay. Um, as a way of me trying to regain balance in my life after worlds, um, one day I just pulled up Adobe illustrator and like started designing this logo and I knew I wanted it to be called icon. And I just started like designing, I wrote like I wrote it down. I'm like, Oh, I want to incorporate the shutter logo into this word. And, and so eventually after like four days of like spending the whole day on my computer, Mm. like I came up with the logo, um, in finished form. And so I'm like, okay, cool. Like this thing that I've been wanting to do, I've been wanting to like hat, like make t-shirts and hats and stuff. Like Mm. this thing that I've been wanting to do for years now, I've finally been able to do. And so like, it was Mm. really just a step for me to, to do more in yo-yoing aside from just competing. Yeah. Um, and so, and so for with icon, like 
I also wanted, I didn't want to just release merch that was like meaningless. I wanted it to be something that I felt strongly about. Mm. Um, and so really it's just taking the idea of like, we all love yo-yoing anyone who's involved in yo-yoing. Like we, Mm. we keep doing it because we love doing it. Yeah. And for me, I, I don't just love yo-yoing. I love yo-yoing as a tool to achieve more. So I love yo-yoing as a tool to connect with people, mm. as a tool to learn, um, as a tool to express myself and to help other people have a positive experience with doing something. Mm. And so within that, I, man, I, I, I should have made a whole video about that. I'm, I'm giving <laughs> away all my, my con. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I really just, I wanted to like have something that represented like my beliefs and like why I'm doing what I'm doing. Yeah. Um, and that is to just like, like hustle at this thing that you like doing and like, be, and do it in a way that is, is your own way and, and become a representative of that thing that you, that you love doing. And so mm. my goal was to, to take that idea and, have that thing relate to people through yo-yoing, but also, um, to people who don't yo-yo. And so ideally I want to be able to have people who don't yo-yo rock the, rock the merch the and yeah. hopefully get them to yo-yos too. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, it, um, yeah. Anything you love doing, like, like hustle at it and, and be a representative of it. Don't just be another, another person that likes to do it you know, do it in a way that, that become a representative of a representative of it in the sense that you go and share that with other people and mm. you help other people have the same positive experience with that thing that you do. Um, and yeah, just spreading the positivity and yeah. Yeah, man. That's, yeah, that's, that's awesome. Um, thanks. Thanks for sharing that with me. And thanks for like, I don't know, very in-depthly, answering the question um i think you know we've we've just about run out of time and there are things that i could like ask you like there's a never-ending list of questions but um i guess for anyone for the five people in yo-yoing that don't know who you are um where can they find you where would be the best kind of place to get in contact with you um yes on well on my youtube channel um it's gentry stein so they can subscribe to that because i'll be i'll be posting like I have a lot of content that I still haven't released. Um, mm. and I'm still making a lot of content and I plan to be consistent on there for a while now throughout the yeah. year. And, um, but also on my website, they can, people can contact me through there. Mm. Um, yeah, on the contacts page yeah. and yeah, so basically just gentrystein.com and my YouTube channel, Gentry Stein. Awesome. Cool. Well, thanks so much for sitting down and like answering all the questions I had. This was super, super insightful for me and I'm sure super insightful for um, anyone who's currently listening to this. So yeah, it's been an absolute pleasure. Cool, man. Yeah, I appreciate it. I think, I think a lot of people like have seen my competitions and, and they've seen me up on stage and they've seen my Instagram and stuff, but, um, that's kind of all they see. Mm. And, I just want to make it clear that like I was in the same position as like anyone who yo-yos right now. Like Mm. I, you know, I've, I've had a lot of luck. I've worked really hard, but a lot of people work hard and it's, it's really no different. Like I'm just another yo-yo player. So, um, anything 
like this that allows me to just like talk to you. Like I have respect for you and like share some ideas I have and, mm. and, uh, show people something different than just me being on stage as a competitor. Um, I'm happy to be a part of. So, yeah, that's awesome. All right. Cheers, Gentry. Thanks so much. Yeah. Yeah, man. <laughs> okay. So I hope you guys enjoyed that. That was an amazing conversation for me. Um, I learned so much there and I definitely got a better insight to who Gentry is as a person. And um, yeah, it's definitely very insightful. Everything from like his struggles with, you know, competing now and, you know, changing up the system, changing up the the approach to practicing. So that's definitely something we, we both um, are very, very focused on. And I'm super excited for whatever he has in store for the future. But yeah, that was an incredibly wide-raising conversation. If you guys um, want to dig deeper on anything or have any feedback for me as a host, definitely leave a review. If you guys would just take five seconds to leave a review, it really helps us in the rankings. And tell your friends about this podcast. And I, I hope like if you guys are competitors, you would derive some value from this, at the very least. But anyway, that is it from me. Any comments, questions, criticisms, post them down below, I guess, if you're watching the YouTube. And I will see you guys in the next episode.